And so once again, just want to say hello, everyone, and welcome to Christ Central Church, and greetings to those, again, who are online. My name's Joe Crummy, and today we're going to continue our series on formation, the way of Jesus. And so as we've been learning, Jesus is the way to know God. Jesus is the way that we follow him, that Jesus is the way, and he's our model to, to live. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to be discussing sex and sexuality and Jesus. So here's some uh, just a framework for it. So parents, you may need to talk to your children and teens this week to review and help explain more fully or to clarify some things. And so I'm going to try to be as sensitive as I can, recognizing we've got a wide age range here and comfort levels. At the same time, where I'm hoping and seeking to normalize some of this discussion just in church life, because the things we're going to talk about affect every single one of us. And sometimes we don't talk about these things. And so we need to talk about them, and we need to understand that God's involved in every aspect of our life, and God cares, and Jesus lived here on planet Earth. Jesus was fully God, but fully human, and he dealt with all of these different things, so Jesus knows. And our context, again, we've been using over the last couple of weeks is this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'm going to read it again, because you have to understand, sometimes you think, Joe, why are we even talking about some of these things. Well, we have to bring some explanation to the world and the culture we live in and how the world and the culture shapes what we believe, which affects our values and our attitudes and our actions and behaviors. And Paul was writing to the church in Rome and trying to bring a Christian worldview and understanding. And he said this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, speaking to Christians, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're trying to understand what the world believes so that we can understand what the culture is saying so we can understand how Jesus says things in a different way, and we're to follow Jesus, not culture. And that, a lot of times, they battle up against each other. And so the background, I just want to lay some um, sort of terms and just understanding so that we're talking about. And again, sometimes I'm going to speak in some general terms, trusting those of you kind of 12 and over will understand more what I'm referring to, and others we can fill in some of the gaps here in the upcoming week. All right, I just want to give a background. Sexuality. Folks, God made us. God, creator, made us male and female. We're both made in the image of God, and the Bible says that it was very good. So we have a God who's an amazing creator, designer, a wonder, and he's created these wonderful bodies in our anatomy. God formed us in our mother's womb. Folks, there's no shame in being able to talk about our bodies. And just as we heard during the worship, some of the things that were shared about how things get broken, we need God to redeem and restore. And some of these things we're going to talk about, it's okay to talk about. And even though things get broken, we are about restoring and redeeming God. So we can talk about these things with no shame. God created sex. The Bible says, and we can read it in Genesis 1 and 2, God created Adam and Eve, male and female, and the two became one flesh, and it was good. And God said, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
And then we see Satan come along, God's enemy who was jealous of God, and he gave lies to Adam and Eve, and they were deceived. And as Jerusha was talking about, sin entered the world, and there are consequences to sin. And from that point on, our sexuality, sex and everything, really got broken from that point on. It got tainted, it got stained, and through the rest of human history, right up to today, it brings with it a lot of baggage, and sometimes shame, and it gets abused, and all kinds of different things. And folks, we have to realize something so beautiful given by God, our bodies, relationships, Satan hates. Jesus said that Satan comes to rob, kill, and destroy. So why is the area of sex such a battleground and such a contentious issue? Because it's such a beautiful thing from God, and Satan wants to destroy it. So we have to understand that background. We have to understand when we talk about love, that in the Bible, in English, we have the word love in our Bibles, but in the Greek, there are four different uh, words that are used to describe love. And, and I want to describe these four because that's the context that we're talking about when we talk about sexuality. It's not just one aspect of sort of activity. It's all of these things. So briefly, we've got storge love, which is the love of a parent to a child. So that's important. We have phileo love. And so you, you think of brotherly love, companionship, friendship. That's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's where we get that from. It's phileo, friendship, companionship. We have, we have eros, romantic love, passion, powerful. And I think that's what most people think when we talk about sexuality. And then there's agape love. It's sacrificial, committed. It's serving. And God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is He, God is our model for family, community, unity, intimacy, knowing and being known, friendship, pleasure, life. And folks, you got to realize in the Bible, it talks about husband and wife is the analogy to Christ and the church. It's a very important, sacred thing. So in this teaching today and next week, we want to use sort of a wider definition of sexuality. We want all those kind of four definitions of love working together. So when I'm talking about these things, it's not just sort of our activities of what we do, but we want to work with a definition that acknowledges that we are sexual beings, that God's made us that way, whether we're sexually active or not, and that God's given us sexual energy, and although it's tainted a lot of the times, it profoundly shapes our lives, and it matters to God. And that, as Jesus talked about, affects both our thought pattern and what we think and what we do. So it's important to talk about because our sexuality is an important part of our lives. And it can be used for good and glorifying God, or it can be used for dishonoring God. And we realize that this area can be a very dangerous aspect of life. So we want to handle with care, and we see the negative consequences of this aspect of our lives being not used for good and how much harm and damage it brings. Oof. Ken Shigematsu, who we're using his book as some of a reference point, says this, and he talks about our sexual uh, sort of power, and he says this, a fire set in a fireplace can warm the entire house, but a fire set to the curtains can burn the house down. So it's really, we handle with care. And I just, I mean, look at the songs that are in our world, whether it's country music, rap, pop, hip-hop, you take it, you listen to Adele, it's all talking about how powerful this is in our lives for good or for bad. All right, so again, we're just trying to set a bit of a foundation 
here, and this is why we're taking a couple weeks to talk about it. So again, let me just say a couple things. God tells us that sex is a powerful bonding thing. It's like nothing else. In Genesis 2.24 says, the two became one, and that's physically, emotionally, but also spiritually. So that's when, again, we can't say it enough. It's not just a physical thing. There's something happens emotionally and spiritually as well. So society says, you know what? It says a lot of things about just being casual. It's no big deal. And as long as it's consensual, we're all okay. And it's really that eros. It's that passion and pleasure without any agape commitment, sacrifice, sacrificial. But folks, even our secular psychologists and scientists are more and more understanding how even with chemicals in our brain and all kinds of different things, that once this bond happens, something changes and it's powerful. There's a union and a fusion that both in our biology, but also spiritually, that if the, and it makes sense if the two become one, that in the safety of a committed, loving marriage covenant, sex can lead to joy and delight and unity, although that's not guaranteed, as many of us know, it's difficult and due to circumstances from our pastor thing, it can require a lot of help in healing. But when sex is used outside of God's design, it gradually loses its potency as a bonding agent. It gets less and less and less, and it lessens our capacity to experience true intimacy and lasting fulfillment. So folks, we realize that many, when they get married, it's difficult because they bring a lot of baggage in from previous relationships because there have been spiritual things happening, let alone physical. So there are many warnings in the Bible, and Bible can get a bad name for kind of being, you know, a killjoy on fun, but you've got to realize, hey, we've got an amazing, loving creator who's looking out for our good, who says this, we are to avoid sexual activity outside of a covenant marriage relationship because the power of sexual activities can make us enslave or addicted to them. Paul, who was single, I might add, writes this in 1 Corinthians 6.12, and we're going to look at this a little bit later, and it sums up, and so nothing new under the sun. This is 2,000 years ago, and this is what Paul says. He says, culture says this, I have the right to do anything. So he's quoting what's going on in Corinth. He's quoting a local saying. Culture says, I have the right to do anything. Does that sound familiar? And Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. And Paul says this, I will not be mastered by anything. The Bible fully recognizes that engaging in sexual activity outside of a covenant marriage relationship may momentarily satisfy our hunger, but it doesn't fulfill it in a lasting way. This is why our thought life, and this is where if you remember, Jesus said so much about our thought life because he's saying, hey, you think Old Testament. You think, hey, don't commit adultery. Don't do this. Don't do that. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm, I'm saying even if you think about it in your brain, you've committed a sin against God. So Jesus is saying it's just as important to God that our outward actions, but also what's going on in here and in here on the inside so that takes into place then viewing, reading, watching, fantasizing, engaging in any sort of form of porn can be harmful and it can be so addictive because it destroys our capacity 
for healthy, long-term, loving relationships. And folks, pastorally, and this is, I'm speaking all this from a pastoral point of view, okay? We deal with people who are so addicted to some of these things, they can't even have functional, healthy relationships with real people because of what's gone on in fantasy life. Folks, this is real damaging things. A lot of these things can be like a drug. When people engage in sexual activity apart from God's will, they find themselves craving more and more of what satisfies less and less. And it can become a vicious cycle of addiction, which leads to death. And we also know the flip side of that. People shut down sometimes too and don't want anything to do with, and it becomes a very, especially if people have been abused in that. Whew. So the consequence is sort of on all the spectrum. And folks, I just got to say in the middle of it, there's good news. There's hope. There's Jesus. Hallelujah. There's good news. So just as we heard, shared, even though the world can look like it's on fire, we've got this hope in Jesus. And Jesus can even use the fire to bring about good. Hallelujah. Jesus is our Savior, our Redeemer, a healer, a restorer. There's good news, and that's why we say over and over unashamedly, we need Jesus. And folks, we need each other, as we're going to see as a church. We need each other to help us walk through some of these things. And we need a healthy framework of life. So we've been talking about, and this is why I know, and thank you for your feedback. I know some of you are just like, I just can't quite understand this framework of life and what you're... I'm hoping as we go through this, you're starting to understand, okay, when we talk about a framework of life and we're getting a foundation of God's Word and prayer and rest in the Holy Spirit and finding our identity, how those key things affect, and all he talked about are friendships, and it begins to affect these things that I'm talking about today, begins to affect, we're going to talk about money in a little bit. Folks, it affects the everyday things of life that can control our lives. So we need a framework of life that guides and directs our sexuality to honor God. One that won't repress our sexuality, but helps us to channel it so we can be more deeply connected with God, with other people, and actually we bring the life of God into our relationships. So this is what I want us to do, and this is, I'm just going to start it today, and we'll, we'll talk more next week about it as well. But if you can think of a framework of life, so we're talking about putting patterns and practices in our lives that help us connect with Jesus, and Jesus changes us in and through those things. That a framework of life is more like the banks of a river that provides boundaries and helps direct a powerful current. That's what we're going for. We're not building a dam that suppresses or blocks everything in an unhealthy way. Hopefully you get that. So I'm hoping you're beginning to understand the importance and the foundation of we've got to have God's Word in our life. God speaks to us through His Word. And God's Word's going to sound different from a lot of the things the culture talks about. And God speaks and reveals and teaches us. Prayer, we get to communicate with God. We get to ask God, God, this is difficult. Help me. I don't understand this, God. What do I do with this temptation? God, we can be honest with God. We can have a relationship with God. We can receive guidance and direction and grace. Hope you understand how important rest is, that we get to recharge our batteries. And, you know, when we're talking about taking a day off from social media, we're taking a day off from screen time. That helps us reset. That helps us, God, okay, whew, I'm not enslaved to those things. 
I get time with you. Hope you understand how the Holy Spirit empowers us. And we talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus, fully God, fully human, laid aside his divinity. He didn't use his divinity. He relied on the Holy Spirit to live a life that honored God. And the Holy Spirit taught him and empowered him and enabled him. Hope you understand that the same Holy Spirit lives in us and can help us walk through this difficult path we all have. And I hope you understand that the framework for our sexuality to be shaped and formed by Jesus starts with identity. And that's why we spent so much time two weeks ago. We spent a whole message just on how our identity and what we believe about ourselves, and what shapes us and molds us and what validates us affects our behavior. And so I'm going to try to help connect some dots here just in the next couple of minutes, and then we'll pick it up next week. Our framework for our sexuality to be shaped and formed by Jesus starts with our identity. That is the starting point. So I'm not going to give you a bunch of, I can just come and say, well, don't do this, don't do that, a bunch of rules. No, folks, it goes right to the heart of why we're made. Identity, who am I? Where do I get my sense of self and worth and truth and approval and acceptance and validation? Affects how we view and define ourselves. Where we get our sense of identity affects whether we say we're male, female, non-binary, LGBTQ2+. Folks, that all affects and comes from our identity. So as I said, we spent time looking at how culture forms our identity. And just a quick review, we looked at a traditional identity formation and how one looks outward both to define value and truth, but also external for validation. And we talked about how that can be parents or our tribe, clan, nation. And in religious circles, a lot of times our identity is formed this way. If we're good enough, if we behave and we're good boys and girls, then God will accept us. And that's kind of what religion teaches. If we are good, then God, because good people deserve to go to heaven, good people And a lot of times that leads to external, we're good when people are looking at us, but there's a whole lot going on in our heart that isn't good. And modern identity formation is this, one looks inward for both defining values and truth and also internally for validation. And we talked about, it kind of comes out expressed like this, I decide what is true and you have to accept me. So things have shifted in our culture from religion to spirituality. So you don't talk about religion anymore, you talk about being spiritual. And spirituality is this, you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to be authentic and then God will accept you. Does any of that ring? You understand this is what our culture forms and shapes us and we don't even always know it. So modern is not so much obeying anything. It's you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to be authentic and God who is love will love you when you are authentic and real to yourself. And folks, there's some good aspects to that and there's some bad aspects to traditional and modern. Both can be abused and manipulated and be harmful. But folks, you say, Joe, why are you saying these things? Because I'm saying them because we have to understand that there's been a shift in our Western culture from traditional to modern and affects our identities and views on sexualities because our culture has become much more do what feels good for you. Be your true self. And what's our primary goal is do what makes you happy. Be what makes you happy. And that permeates into 
church and Christian worldview as well. And the culture has said, religion, church, parents, you don't listen to outside things, you listen to your heart. And folks, we get it. You know what? It's really understandable how that shift has happened because government and church and sports have all been external things that have, unfortunately, a lot of times misused and abused. So there's been racism and sexism and abuse and bullying and all that and all of these different things. And we can understand there's been a rebellion and a pushback to that. And a lot of that's good. but can also go too far where we become really little G-God that we get to decide. And Jesus comes and says, there's a, different, a totally different way of forming your identity. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And Jesus says, to come and follow me, you deny yourself. And if you come and follow me, you will find life. And the Bible talks about, as a follower of Jesus, being in Christ, that our identity as Christ followers is not based on our performance or being good, but it's based on Jesus' life. Our identity, as we talked about, is received as a gift, not achieved. And God's the one who validates us as a good father. He sees us in Jesus. You're my son. You're my daughter, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. So society says good people deserve to go to heaven, which actually, ironically, is very exclusive because what about bad people? What happens to bad people? Is there any hope for them? Christianity is all about grace and says this, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But here's the good news. It's very inclusive through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we follow and obey Jesus. And we're saved from sin and selfishness and Satan. We're saved into a new relationship with Jesus. So the traditional religious kind of identity is this. You obey the rules and God will like you. The modern spirituality is what? Follow your heart. And Jesus' identity formation is this. Deny yourself, follow me, and you will find abundant life. And I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you, one that's going to help you honor and enjoy God. So in closing, Spiritual formation, the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Hopefully you're getting that. God saves us and puts his Holy Spirit in us. Therefore, God creates in us new desires and new purposes and a new heart and a new power to live a life that honors God. And it's not rules-based. It's not do your own thing. It's now we're what? We're yoked with Jesus. We're united with Jesus and as we're satisfied in Jesus, we live a life that Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to close with this. It might be, sound like a funny thing to close with. But I'm going to try to close with a point, and I'll explain it 
at the end, and then we'll pick things up next week. So I'm going to kind of leave you a mid-message, okay? But I want to take this one scripture, and I just want to unpack it for like two minutes to try to show the difference between Old Testament, New Testament, and how we look at sexuality. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, so the whole message of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. They're messed up, folks. There's a lot of things happening that aren't good. And Paul's writing this letter to bring order and correction. And in chapter 5, I'm not even going to read it because it's difficult to read, okay? And it's, it's very, it's like PG-13, if not 18A, adult. So in chapter 5, a sexual sin has happened, and Paul's writing and saying, like, oh, my soul. And he gives an answer in 5 and 6, and we're going to pick up the answer in verse 6. So again, Paul's bringing instruction and order to the church, and they, were, they had lawsuits against one another. There was division in the church. There was weird sexual behavior. And what does Paul do? I want you to see the model that Paul brings to deal with these things. He doesn't bring law. He doesn't bring now. This is what he says. He starts with identity. And if we had time to read it all, he's saying this. You used to be greedy, used to be slanders, used to be drunkards, used to be sexually immoral, used to be idolaters, and you're expecting to come to say, now, here's the law. What does he say? Verse 11. He starts with identity. And that is what some of you were. But you, listen, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were made holy. You were justified. You were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The body, however, he says, and I'm skipping down a few verses, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Folks, Paul comes at our sexual behavior, and he starts with our identity. He says, you were once this, now you are this. And he says this, I want you to honor God with your body. An attitude, heart, values, actions, thoughts, behavior, because the New Testament principle is this. It's to do with our relationship with Jesus, not just external rules. As I said, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul deals with the sexual sin. And you know what? That sin in the Old Testament, you know what the consequence would have been? Death. So you're almost expecting Paul to come in and say, hey, this sin has happened. This is what the Old Testament says consequence is. And this is how Paul deals with the New Testament. He says, that guy who's sinning like that, this is what I want you to do. You throw him out of the church. 
And you say, Paul, what, what do you mean? You, I want you to throw him out of the church, and here's why. Because by throwing him out of the church, and he'll miss the company and the fellowship and the power of God in the fellowship. He's going to come to his senses. That's what we're hoping for. He's going to repent and say, I shouldn't have done that. It's wrong. And we want to see him restored. Now, there's a judgment to come, and Paul says, we want to save him before that final judgment, and we're all going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. But here's the key principle, and you're saying, Joe, where are you going with this? Follow me. We're almost done. In our society, and I get it, and pastorally, this is what I deal with all the time. People come to me and say, Joe, you're saying, as a Christian, you should, I should act this way at everything, but here's the thing. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you have all these laws, and no one follows them today, because it's right there, you know, with your haircut and sexual stuff, and we don't follow this, so therefore we don't follow that, so we're just going to throw all of that away. And you're kind of going like, oh man, yeah, maybe you're right, and oh, I... New Testament perspective is this. Paul, and this is the perfect example, Paul dealing with an issue doesn't go back to Old Testament law. He goes to our relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't immediate death as it should have been in the Old Testament. So that's good news. We have a gracious and merciful God. However, he doesn't just say, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, Old Testament, we're through all that, and now it's just we're into freedom and do whatever you want. He says, no, that is wrong. There's consequences, but it's based on our relationship with Jesus, and our heart is to bring in some consequences that are going to lead to repentance and restoration and being restored with God and with one another. So it's grace and mercy, not the death penalty, but there's still a right and a wrong. There's still a standard, and Jesus actually increased the standard because he's saying it's not just your external, it's what's going on in here and in here. But Paul doesn't appeal to Old Testament law, but to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He says this, don't you know your body is united with Jesus? Jesus bought you, you're not your own. The Spirit of the living God lives within your temple, the Holy Spirit, therefore honor God with your body. Now, I've run over time. We're going to pick things up next week. I'm going to give you some questions for you to think about and talk about in your life groups this week. And I thank you for tracking with me. And I'm trying to lay a foundation so I know tonight, today, again, might have been more, a bit more academic. But folks, we've got to lay the foundation from a theological point of view and a pastoral point of view to understand how this affects things in everyday life, in our relationships, in our thought life, what we watch on the internet, what we don't watch, how we handle things in a relationship with one another at our workplace, in our sports teams. Folks, they're all tied together. And sometimes Christianity can appear to be just like coming in from the ex outside. Don't do this. Don't do that. We're not coming from that way. We're saying it's founded in our relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Our foundation is our identity, and we're coming from, in New Testament, a grace and mercy point of view that handles things different from the Old Testament, but there's still a right and a wrong. But we want to honor God out of our relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit.
So next week, we're going to build a bit more on this framework. We're going to give you some practical things of how do we have some of these boundaries in our life. And I hope, again, thank you, parents, for bearing with me. I hope I didn't do anything that was too outside of your framework as a parent. Hopefully, you can talk about some of these things this week. And I'm going to pray and ask Taylor and them to come. I think we have time for one more song. So why don't you stand if you're able? And we're just going to ask for God's help in this. Father, I thank you today that you're a good father, that we're made in your image, that God, even though sin messed that all up, Jesus, you've come to restore. And God, I pray, Lord, again, I feel like my words kind of failed me this morning, but God, I hope, Holy Spirit, you can take these things and you can build foundations in our lives that are built on our relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That God, we do want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, honorable, acceptable to you. This is our act of worship. So God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would take these things, build truth into us, Lord, form us to be shaped more like your son, Jesus, for your glory, for the good of those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.